Well, good morning, Watermark, and welcome to May 2020. Uh, we all pray that this particular month will be better than the one we just pushed through. April kept us from each other for a long time, but we are so glad to be together today and to be opening up God's word. Let me just start by praying for us, and uh, I'm glad we're together. Father, thank you for a chance through technology to be together in this particular way. We long to be together in person, and we thank you for that longing. It speaks to our love for one another and, frankly, to the fact that we are made in your image, the one who has forever dwelt together in unity and mutual subjection and um, love in the person of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Make us like yourself. Use today toward that end. I pray for my friends that are listening who don't know of your great love that has eternally existed in who you are and that has been expressed in the way that you demonstrated your love for us and that while we're yet sinners, you died for us. I pray that they would come to understand that today and that all of us would respond fully to the gospel in a way that affirms in our hearts and makes clear to the world that we know you. So we love you, Father. Thank you for your word. Teach us now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are making our way through the book of Thessalonians. And um, if you're not familiar with the Bible, it's a, it's a small letter that Paul wrote to real people who were part of a real church that had heard the real gospel. And what you're going to see today is a response, a right and full response to that gospel. I always wanna, especially during this season, but always, I wanna just begin my messages now during this season with just clarity and what the gospel is because we know so many folks are inviting friends and say, well, just jump in and um, understand what it is that we as God's people want to be about. You just need to know this. We aren't studying God's word in hopes that if we do religious things, God will eventually love us. I'm gonna to get to that a little bit later today. That's an idea of what's called legalism or that, that our performance and keeping the law is what make God love us. That's not the case. We don't believe God loves us because of anything that we have done. We believe God loves us despite what we have done. And he has demonstrated that love by running towards us in the person of his son, Jesus, who though he knew no sin, God made him become sin on our behalf, that we by faith in him might become the righteousness of God in him. We believe we have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ dying for our sins. And you need to know this about us. Having seen the kindness and the goodness of God, we want to run to him more. We wanna know him more. We wanna represent him to others who don't know of the goodness of God. And we pray that our time together today will encourage believers to be more of who Jesus wants them to be. And we pray that in your hearing what I just talked about in terms of the nature and the purpose of our God, that you would wanna know him. I wanna to say to you again, God doesn't love us because we're good. God is good. And so he loves us. We're glad you're here with us. We are his church. And his church wants to know more of his heart for us. We're not trying to avoid God or manage God. We're not trying to keep him in a corner or in a box. We're just saying, if you are full of grace and glory, if no good thing do you withhold from those who love you, why wouldn't we want to know you more? Well, that was Paul's encouragement and admonishment to the people that were in this little Greek town of Thessalonica. It wasn't a really a little Greek town at all. It was a thriving metropolis. It was at the very center of um, a major trade route that took basically all the goods from the west to the east and all the goods from the east to the west. And it was right there by um, the confluence of Europe and Asia. And it was an amazing city for Paul to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to because if people heard the gospel in Thessalonica, there was a good chance the gospel was gonna go throughout all the known world at the time. And God wants that gospel to go out through all the known world. We are in chapter four, and that's a really important place in the book because it's when Paul starts to do what he typically does in most of his letters. He spends the first part of his books talking about um, what we believe, and then he really begins to tell us because of what we believe, how we should behave. Really in 1 Thessalonians chapters 1, 2, and 3, if you haven't been with us, Paul's talking a lot about what he believes about the Thessalonians, and that is that they have a genuine faith and a faith that has become a bit 
um, celebrated throughout the known region of the world that Thessalonica was in, that whole Macedonian, Grecian region. And what Paul was going to now tell them was, but stay at it. Excel still more. What you're going to see is that Paul had heard back from his friend Timothy, who was with him when he was there in Thessalonica. And Timothy came back and gave Paul a report. In fact, let me just um, begin today by reading to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verses 6, roughly through 9. This is what it says. It says, but now Timothy has come to us from you, and he has brought us, he says, good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us that you long to see us, just as Paul said, we long to see you. I want to tell you, it would be like, imagine, you know, if I couldn't see you in any way and you really couldn't see me and all I had to do was um, write letters to one another. And um, it took a long time for letters to get around back before there was things like email and texting. And imagine that a friend came to visit the town that I was in and he came back and returned to you with a message about how I was doing. And then he brought that message back to you And then you were writing a letter to me that was going to be carried to me eventually. That's kind of the scenario that was going on. And one of the very first things that we see that we can relate to here is um, Paul was just saying, I love you. You're my church. You're you're the church that I was a part of, certainly when I was in Thessalonica. And I long to be with you. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he says, this is why I'm going to write verse 7. For this reason, brethren, in all of our distress and all of our affliction, we're comforted about you through your faith, we hear about how you're doing. Because in verse eight, he says this. He says, because I'm gonna really be alive and filled with joy if I hear that you're standing firm in your faith. One of the things that has happened during this season is I have been hearing of all the good works that the good news has produced in you. And it has um, strengthened me and encouraged me that our fellowship is not in vain. Jesus is thriving in individual communities and individual families. It's not to say that we all don't struggle in some way and don't all need some reproof and admonishment. We all do. But I want to tell you, I am so encouraged by um, what I am watching and what I'm seeing in you. And Paul, as a father to the Thessalonican church, said what all fathers say, which is, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And in verse nine specifically, he just wraps up this little section. He says, for what thanks can I render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account. And so church, I wanna let you know I'm doing that. I am uh, rejoicing on God because of your faithfulness. And if you're struggling in your faith, I pray that today you're gonna get some encouragement. I pray you reach out to us in the midst of us reaching out to you through shepherds and through community groups and let us know how we can serve you. Now, um, you know, right after you get to 1 Thess uh, chapter 3, verse 9, uh, where, where I'm explaining to you why Paul knew what to say to these people that he hadn't been around, you know, he goes right from there uh, very quickly to a time of prayer for them. And that sets me well up for where I want to go. And that is just simply this. Um, chapter 3, and I'm, I'm giving us a little context because it's been since before Easter that we've studied this book together. Um, Paul closes the whole first section of his book with a prayer. And then he gets into this moment where he says, I want you to do better, excel still more. And I'm gonna remind you of some things that I said about that, but here's just a principle that I think is true. And I have done this today. And that is, before I'm talking to you, I've talked to God about you. Here's a principle that you should embrace. Before you talk to men about God, you ought to talk to God about men. So um, Paul had done that with the Thessalonians. Specifically, in uh, chapter three, at the very end, I want to remind you, right before he admonishes them, as a father does his children, this is what he did. He prayed this. He said, now may God, uh, may our God and Father himself, and Jesus our Lord, direct our way to you. The very first thing you're gonna see is he said, I am praying that we would be together soon. And then secondly, he says this. He says, and may the Lord cause you to increase and to abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. So the second thing you see after he says, may we be together soon, he says, I pray that you would increase in your love for one another. 
and love, frankly, for foes that, that, that don't know the gospel yet. Um, may you be marked by that which marks God, which is love for his people and for those who don't know the goodness of being God's people. And then he says this at the very end in verse 13, so that God would establish, this is Paul's prayer, that God would establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. So watch, let me just review it for you. I'll I'll add this to the list. This is what he prayed. He said, may we be together soon. Secondly, may you increase in your love for one another and for all of those that are not yet in the faith. That was the second thing he prayed. And then the third thing he prayed right there in 1 Thess 3, 11 through the end of the chapter, is that might you increase, watch this, in your holiness and Christ-likeness before God because this is the fourth thing he prayed. So when Christ, who's going to come and is going to return, that you would be ready and that you would be hopeful of the glad reception you will receive from your king when he shows up. May you be ready and hopeful. So um, you're gonna find out that the things that Paul prayed for are the very things he's now about to teach them towards and encourage them towards. There's a lesson there. And the lesson is this. Before you talk to men about God, you ought to talk to God about men. Pray for your neighbors, for your family members. Pray for your children that you're trying to raise in the Lord. Pray for your spouse. Pray what you're gonna see in every one of those things um, is what you want to see God produce in them. Don't spend time praying what you want for them. Don't waste your words in trying to produce them according to your image. But pray for them that they would be conformed to the image of Christ. And then when you speak and when you teach, teach them towards that exact same thing. All right, so Paul was a great encourager and um, he was about that. I wanna remind you again and again what he did and that is just that um, before he corrected them and said you can excel still more, he brought them real encouragement. So lots of encouragement before lots of correction is always the right way to love people. But correction is right when necessary. And there is not a single person on earth who doesn't still need correction, right? Um, And doesn't need encouragement. We all need encouragement. It's always necessary. And we don't encourage each other day after day, as long as it's called today, so we wouldn't be um, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There was a quote I um, read by my friend, John Piper. And uh, Piper was talking a little bit about um, his longing for more of what Jesus wants for him. And you guys know that I say a lot that if a man doesn't want to know more of God, it's doubtful that if he, know, he really knows him at all. I mean, that's a statement that I, I say a lot and I'm going to remind you because if there's a hesitancy in you uh, to spend time in God's word, if there's an apathy in you to want to be obedient to Christ, boy, at the very least, you have forgotten the goodness and the kindness of your God. So you want to be somebody that's always like, I know he's good. I know he loves me. I know he gives grace and glory. So let me seek him first, right? Jesus first and Jesus most in terms of my heart's affection. And I know more about the mind of God when I read the word of God. So the Bible first and the Bible most. And so what we want to do, um, you know, is is at times discipline ourselves to seek more of God. There's this discipline called fasting. And fasting is not something we do to get God's attention. Fasting is not a hunger strike. I think sometimes people think of that, uh, of fasting in that way. Like if I do this, if I deny myself something and starve myself, maybe God will direct his attentions toward me and like the warden ease up. Well, that's not what fasting is. What fasting is, is when you remove something from your life in order that you can make room for something of even greater importance. Now, obviously, man can't live without bread. But Jesus reminds us, as he quotes from Deuteronomy, that man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that flows from the mouth of God. And so sometimes it's good to fast from Spotify. It's good to fast from Xbox at times. It's good to fast from Netflix. 
And it's good to at times fast from food and water for a period of time. And when your body craves those things, say, you know what, God? I thank you that that prompting that is in me, that grumbling to eat physical bread that perishes and then I'll hunger again, to long for something even more sustaining. And so this is what my friend John Piper said. He said, one of the great functions of fasting is not just to express the depth of our hunger for God to act in some way, but to awaken in us a hunger that is not as deep as we wish it was. And then he made the comment, and I know it's true of me. My guess is that none of us hungers for God in this moment as deeply as we should. If you wanna pray for your pastor, and folks have been gracious at times, say, how can I pray for you? Man, just just pray that I would hunger for God uh, more and more every single day. Blessed are those, Jesus said, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So, you want righteousness? Run right to the word. Let's read 1 Thess 4, 1 through 12 together. and see what this passage says. So it says, finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk, to please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of our Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that that each of you knows how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. Verse six, let no man transgress and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of these things. Just as we also told you and before solemnly warned you, you're gonna see Paul said again and again, I'm reviewing, this isn't new information. I didn't sell you a easy believism. I didn't say, hey, trust in the cross of Jesus Christ. And then a little bit later, I'll talk to you about holiness. Paul taught the gospel and holiness at the exact same time. One of the reasons that so many people don't love God in trusting in his work on the cross is they've never heard somebody teach about holiness to begin with. Let me just say this again. The wrath of God is revealed against men for the way they suppress truth and unrighteousness and um, they, they create gods of their own liking and own choosing and they run after worthless things and their flesh becomes a slave to things that don't only, that, that hurt them and dishonor God. And God judges us for that. The wages of our sin is death. Death, lifelessness even when we have the appearance as non-believers of having a party, it is death in terms of ultimate satisfaction and certainly in terms of relationship with God and ultimate destiny before God. Not just physical death, but spiritual separation forever. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death. And um, holiness, Paul is gonna say again and again, I taught you from the beginning, about the holiness of God. And now that you've trusted in him that he's dealt with your lack of holiness, pursue holiness. That's the whole point of this section of 1 Thessalonians. So we're wrapping up verse six, when he says, just as we also told you and solemnly warned you, verse seven, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this, this idea of holiness, is we're not rejecting man, not Paul, not Todd, but the God who gave his Holy Spirit to you who believe and gives his Holy Spirit to all who say, God, enough of me, more of you. And then Paul shifts really in verse nine through 12 with just two more points. uh, And I'll go back through and teach three through eight in, in some detail in just a second. But to finish this section, he says, now as to the love of the brethren, You have no need for anyone to write of you because um, you yourselves are taught by God how to love one another. That's that's, God models it through the gospel and he, he writes his word on your heart and he even encourages them there in verse 10. For you practice it in a way that has increased, um, you know, the renown of God all through Macedonia. But he says, I encourage you to excel still more. And then he wraps up with a third application and I'll talk about what each of these are in just a second. 
And he wraps it up by saying in verse 11, he says, I want you to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and to work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you'll behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need, not be a burden on other people. Okay, let's go take a look in depth at this section of scripture. I think you're gonna really be encouraged. If you're not already encouraged that God deals with your lack of holiness, with his love on the cross, so that knowing him, you can pursue him more and become more like him and more holy, man, that ought to encourage you. That the glory that God intends for you is a man, a woman, a child, a 16-year-old, a nine-year-old, a five-year-old, if you're listening, or an 85-year-old, it is never too late to begin to want more of God's intention for you. So here we go. Paul says right here again, finally, which is not really like this is the last thing I'm going to say. I, I think I, I, I do that a lot. <laughs> I go, finally, or one more thing. What Paul's really doing is like, hey, after I've encouraged you, after I've prayed for you, I'm going to finally get to this. It's not like last things finally. It's like, and now, in light of my love for you that's been affirmed, in my celebration of all that I see is good, in light of the fact that I've talked to God about you, let me talk to you about God. So very humbly, though he is a apostle, he says, I'm just like you, I need encouragement. I'm a brother and I'm gonna make a humble request. I'm gonna exhort you, I'm gonna come alongside of you. That's what the word literally means and just pull you forward. That, that in Christ, he's reminding them who they are, that in Jesus, if you'll just lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, that you will then continue in the instruction that I gave you, which wasn't, man's instruction. It wasn't the wisdom of man, but that you would learn to please God. Now watch, this is so important. And this is what marks true believers. Being a believer doesn't mean that you believe you've got to fill out a punch list. Um, you know, I think we've all had time around our houses where maybe we're getting to some of our quote unquote, honey-do lists that um, are given to us by our spouses. The Bible is not a God-do list. It's not a group of things that you just go, I'll knock this off and then he'll, she'll be happy because I've filled all the tasks that I've been asked to fulfill. No, no. I don't do a punch list to get him off my back or to go there, are you happy? It's called a honey-do list because you want to please your spouse. You want to do what your honey wants you to do because you love her. I want to please you, not perform for you. Our motivation in serving and loving God is to um, please him in every single way. We want to excel still more because you can never love too much. Let me just tell you, doesn't that, um, it's not very romantic, right? Like, hey, have I given you enough today? Will you get off my back? Will you leave me alone? That's not the way you endear yourself to a spouse. Is that enough love? And if you ever have the mindset, did I read enough Bible? Did I listen to you enough today? Did I do enough things that honored you and showed you that I'm committed to you? Boy, that's not of Christ. That's not Christian. The love that we all want is the love that says, there is no greater joy that I have than to serve you and to please you. It's uh, Wesley the Prince's Buttercup. As you wish. <laughs> right? Uh, servant boy, go and fetch me that water. As you wish. Boy, go and, you know, fetch me this. As you wish. Well, if Buttercup could motivate the future dread pirate Roberts <laughs> to, uh, to gladly fetch a pitcher. The God who died for your dread pirate life ought to be responded to with a sense of as you wish. Our motivation in all things um, ought to be to please God. Um, we, don't, we don't do things. We don't strive so God will love us. Buddha's last words um, were keep 
striving. Like stay at it. Maybe you'll attain to the nirvana that you want. Jesus's last words were, it is finished. I wanna make it very clear. We seek to please God, not so we'd be pleasing to God, but it pleased God to give himself for us so that he might be both just and pour out his wrath on sin and the justifier of those who just ask him for grace and mercy. What an incredible God um, we serve. So what Paul's gonna do here is he's gonna remind his friends in Thessalonica of some things. And it's helpful to you and I as we live in community with one another. Um, I've already read it to you. You've heard what Paul's gonna remind them of, but I think I just wanna say it to you this way. Reminding is more needed than instruction, okay? Uh, when Peter was writing his gospel, he said, um, let me say to you again, it's no trouble for me and it's beneficial to you. And so you're gonna see the same thing here in Paul and why as a pastor, you know, I'm just so pleased to get to remind you what God's word says when we gather together. I, I call this place that we're not in together that I'm in the R&R right? It's not a worship center. This is the worship center. My body, your body, right where you are. Paul's going to make that argument about why you shouldn't join yourself, um, you know, to prostitutes or to somebody who's not your spouse. This, our lives, is the worship center. I call this place the R&R. It's where we come to remind ourselves of the greatness of our God and to remember how to respond to him. That's why Paul wrote the, Thessal the, uh, the letter to the Thessalonians. Um, so here's a point, right? Reminding is more needed than instruction. And I don't, remind, I don't mind reminding you of that. God wants us to be reminded. And so that's why he says, even at the very end of this letter, in, in chapter five, verse 14, you know, um, that we should, um, brothers, admonish the unruly. And, and specifically in the context, the unruly, we see we're right there in verses um, 11 and 12, folks who would not work. And, and that's a, to live an unruly life. Encourage folks to go to work. And then uh, encourage the faint-hearted. It's people that are maybe overwhelmed at what we're gonna study next week in verses 13 through 18, that they're despairing because of death. And is it worth it? Is Jesus coming back? Are the folks that are dead gonna miss him because um, they're not gonna be here when he comes back? Paul says, encourage those faint-hearted people. And then specifically, to be patient with everyone uh, you know, I, 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 he just, oh, sorry. And when he says help the weak, it's probably in reverse order here. He's, he's, he's saying those that are, 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 are prone to listen to their flesh. And while the, um, the, the, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Paul says, help one another. This is one of the dangers, by the way, of the isolation we're experiencing is we're not there to slap each other's hand when we reach for that extra cookie, <laughs> okay? Or, you know, um, you know, the old expression, I just really found out what it meant. You ever heard the expression, that's one smart cookie? <laughs> uh, that comes from what I think now, probably in our politically correct 2020 day is uh, uh, a politically incorrect term, but cute, attractive uh, women to men that spoke this way then were called a cookie because it was sweet and pleasing. And uh, when you had a girl that was more than beautiful, but was also intelligent and uh, a contributor, they were called a smart cookie. And so what you're gonna find out here in 1 Thess 4, uh, three through eight, is that Paul says, we need to slap each other's hands when we start reaching for cookies. Whether they be ones that put a little extra uh, fat on our bodies or specifically uh, something that looks sweet, but because outside of the will of God, if it's not our covenanted spouse is gonna cause more than a few extra calories to come into you. It's gonna be an offense to Christ. So really, um, Paul, as he even says that little section, which has a broad application to admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak, and to realize none of us are perfect, we're all going to need admonishment, encouragement, and help. We're all gonna be weak in our flesh at some point. We're all gonna be fearful about death or, or, or overwhelmed at the... the death of a loved one. And we're all gonna need to be admonished to work and whatever we do, do heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. We should do it with patience. All right?
So Paul's going to remind us that in this section. But here's one other point I want to give you. And that is simply this. How you respond to the reminder is what marks you as a child of God. If in the midst of somebody speaking the truth in love to you, like it says in Proverbs chapter 27, verses five and six, um, you know, that it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Better is open rebuke, I think verse five says first, than love that is concealed. When, when a friend faithfully wounds you and says, man, you, you're eating too many cookies, you're a little bit too lazy, or you're not living in the midst of the hope that Christ has provided, if you just go, man, leave me alone. I'm gonna reach for what I want and eat what I want and I don't believe it matters before God, that's not a good sign. That should be a great concern for you. In fact, let me just read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter two, where um, Paul says this to the Corinthians, uh, a group of people that lived in a town that was not a lot unlike Thessalonica. It was a, it was a place of great paganism and um, uh, perversion. And when Paul was teaching them about who Christ was, and then he comes back to them a little bit later and says some things to them, he's saying, not all of you are gonna respond well to what I'm saying. This is 1 Corinthians chapter two, verses 14 and following. This is what goes on here. He says, listen, a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and they cannot understand them because they are not spiritually appraised. Okay, uh, well, I think it says in the scripture actually, um, that you can understand them because the words are words that come from the Spirit. If you don't speak the Spirit's language of love and righteousness and truth, you won't understand it. You don't know the language of the righteousness of God. But, verse 15, the one who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is not really concerned about how others appraise him. This is the point. For he who is known the mind, it says, of Christ, the mind of the Lord. That's the one, um, you know, the, the person uh, that, that rejects God, he's like, hey man, you're not gonna tell me anything. But Paul's saying, we have the mind of Christ and so we want to hear more of him. That's our goal. So how you respond to the reminder says a lot about who you are in Christ. Look at verse two. Um, it says here that um, you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word commands there is not like the word, um, you know, in verse two, I request and I exhort. Now Paul's dropping an idea with them right there in verse two when he says, you know the commandments we gave you by the authority of Jesus. This wasn't Paul's idea, it's not my idea what I'm about to teach you. It wasn't my idea last week when I encouraged you to, be, um, to prepare your minds for action, to be sober in spirit, like it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. I didn't tell you what to watch or what not to watch. I just encourage you to do what the scripture says, that, that you should be holy like he is holy. And Paul's saying, I taught you what Jesus wanted when I was there. You know what commandments, that word commandments, is the word from uh, in a chain of military command or what a magistrate would say, this is the law. And Paul said exactly what Jesus said. I taught you the will of the father when Jesus was here. And Paul's saying, I taught you the will of the son who taught you the will of the father. That's all I'm doing. When we talk about biblical community, we say biblical community are people, uh, is made up of people who devote themselves to God's word, that pursue each other relationally, that live authentically and admonish each other faithfully. Do you see where we get these ideas? That then counsel biblically and then live on mission together. So 1 Thess chapter four, verse two, makes it really clear that the mark of a faithful friend is biblical counsel. This is how, people ask me, Todd, how, how should I figure out what church to enjoy, to join and be a part of? Well, don't ever join a church. Your small community, if you don't have people in your community that are living out 1 Thess 4-2 with you, that aren't counseling biblically, it's not Christ's community. 
Tell us. Nobody here counsels biblically. Nobody here is a faithful friend because nobody gives me biblical counsel. There's a lot of, well, I think, or it seems right to me that Paul never did that. Paul says, when I came to you, I talked to you about how you ought to, um, how you ought to walk and, and faithfully and how you ought to please God. I gave you the commandments by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Specifically, verse three. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God. Your sanctification, that you would become more holy, more like Christ. The scriptures says those he called, people he predestines to know him by his grace, he's gonna justify. And those that he justifies, he will purpose to see that they are conformed to the image of his son. And so we participate with him. It is the will of God that we would become holy. I just gotta let you know, that holiness and the gospel are never separated. The call to move faithfully towards Jesus is not in any way separate from the gospel. Now, I, 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 um, I want to just talk about how uh, the gospel, well, let me say it to you this way. I, it grieves me when I hear people say, man, you know, I don't want to hear about what I should be doing. I just want to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You can't read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 without being compelled to go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. 8 and 9 is, is the gospel. It says, for by grace you have been saved through your faith in what Jesus did. And that's not even of yourself. It's the gift of God. Dead men can't believe. God even gave you the gift of faith. And if you're out there this morning and you don't have faith in the goodness of God, just cry out, say, God, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And, and you're on your way. But you're not saved as a result of works so that no man should boast. But watch this, okay? You are, though, his workmanship. And you have been created in Jesus for good works, and not for immorality, and not for impurity, and not for greed. Those are things which should even be named among you. And God prepared these things beforehand that you should walk in them. This is your destiny, and it's what God intends for you. And if you've got no intention to walk in holiness and righteousness, and if you go, that's a do church, that's a legalistic thing. I, I love the quote by A.W. Tozier. The church will be at the height of its heresy when it calls obedience legalism. Now, a number of years ago, I was with our residents, our fellows, our, our Watermark Institute here, which pray for our friends. So we're about to have 40 of them graduate after another year of intensive study and leadership and deployment. They're about to be scattered out all over the, the nation, literally, in serving Jesus' church. There's another 70 that are coming next August, Lord willing. But they asked me about you know, legalism and licentiousness and how they can tell the difference. Let me just define them for you. Legalism is this. Legalism is I am doing it because um, I will be loved if I do it. Legalism, this is the long statement, is I'm doing it because I'll be loved if I do it. Licentiousness is the idea that I don't need to do it because I'm loved already. Like license is where you get that word licentiousness. Um, I have the license to do what I want to do because I'm saved by grace through faith. Jesus died for me. I'm free. I don't need morality and purity. I don't need to be faithful with my, to my wife or my girlfriend, you know, in the way I treat my girlfriend. That's, that is gross sin to say that. Legalism is the false idea that if I do it, I'll be loved. Licentiousness is I don't need to do it because I'm loved already. Biblically, the love motivation that God gives us, love-motivated self-denial is what the Bible talks about. Love-motivated self-denial is, I'm going to do this because he's mine. The Lord is my shepherd. And I want more of him. So let me just give it to you this way. All right, legalism is a false gospel that you can do things and if you do enough of them, God will love you. That's that crazy, um, godless, unbiblical world religious system. 
and we reject it. We don't do things to be loved. God doesn't love us because we're good. He's good and so he loves us. And because he loves us, he makes us good. If we'll just listen with him. Licentiousness, that's the idea where I go, you know what? I can do whatever I want because Jesus died for me. I'm gonna continue to sin that grace might abound. May it never be, the scripture says. Legalism is a false gospel and licentiousness is a false profession. To say you know God and you have no need to be holy, that you're gonna say, I think he made me this way to love certain things or to love, uh, you know, to be, uh, I don't know, uh, <laughs> you, you pick it out, to be perverted in my sexuality and I'm not gonna deal with it. That tells me you haven't really dealt with who Jesus is in his holiness. Licentiousness is a false profession. Love motivation. The love motivation is a true sign of a true convert. So, repent of legalism and repent of calling obedience legalism. Let me just give you the words of Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and you'll know more of my goodness. That's what the scripture says. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what the will of God is. Every good and acceptable and perfect thing created for the human spirit is there for you if you'll just walk with God and if you'll just seek him with all of your heart. So God's not gonna love you more, but you'll know more of the love of God if you live to please him and follow his commands, commandments. Uh, let me just read you a little bit more about this. This is so important because I wanna make it really clear. You're not, you're not in a good place <laughs> if you're uninterested in sanctification. That's why we study God's word. Jesus prayed, Father, sanctify them in truth. John 17, 17, your word is truth. So we're studying his word and his word tells us that sexual morality, whether it be pornography, whether it be uh, inappropriate activity as a single man or a single woman, or whether it be unfaithfulness in marriage, or whether it be uh, lustful attitudes of our heart, we need to repent of that and flee from it. And you know, the Bible uses the word here in First Thess, the word abstain, but that word is not um, enough. It's like distance yourself, run from it like a snake, a poisonous viper. I don't want anything to do with it. Where evil is concerned, we don't adopt moderation. We should adopt complete avoidance in every way. So, Jesus says this, though, about your love for him. In John chapter 14, verse 23, he says, anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him. We'll make our abode with him. We'll dwell there. God has no fellowship with sin. That's why even as a believer, when we sin and we need to be admonished, encouraged, and helped, we confess our sins and we restore the fellowship with the father. But watch, verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear, Jesus says, are not mine, but the fathers who sent me. Do you see how all Paul is doing? You want to be a great teacher like Paul? Rip off Jesus. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 4 is Paul ripping off Jesus from John 14. Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you while I was with you. And so when Paul is with the Thessalonians, he speaks to them just like he says right here, with the authority of the Lord, this is what you should do. So Christian, this is the will of God, your sanctification, verse three. Specifically, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Why does Paul say that? Oh my gosh. Um, take a second and just um, tell you why. Because Corinth was, uh, uh, and Thessalonica were towns of great debauchery. I mean, let me just read you this little thing right here. It just, it just says that probably there was never a time in the history of the world when there was more extravagant or uncontrolled fits of passion than there were under the Caesars. I could get into more detail, but I'm glad the family is together today. And so I, I don't really wanna do that. Um, but every kind of immorality that can be imagined, 
was being widely embraced. And Paul is telling the Thessalonians, that's not who you are anymore. Watch this. I want to wrap it up here um, in just a moment. He says, I want you to uh, specifically know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. This is, um, there's some debate about what this means, but when it says your own vessel there, that's a word that is used for the body. Uh, Jesus says that, um, as Paul was talking about the Christian, that we are vessels of honor. This is not a disparaging term for a, uh, for a spouse, that uh, your wife is a vessel. And what he's talking about there is, is that um, the context for biblically appropriate celebrated sexuality is in the context of a covenant heterosexual relationship that could not be more clear in scripture. So homosexuality, um, uh, multiple partners, uh, premarital sex, the fact that we struggle with those things is not our problem. The fact that we surrender to them and make them our way suggests that we are not committed to the sanctification and holiness that God wants. So the context is marriage. The, um, you know, the content is holiness and honor. And I want to just encourage you, sex is God's gift. And you can have honorable, enjoyable, wonderful intimacy with another human that is holy in God's eyes while honoring one another by not exploiting one another in lustful passion, like it says there in verse five. That's what the people who don't know God do. No, but you should not transgress your fellow image bearers in that way. Those women you're looking at, those men you're looking at in two-dimensional pictures, they're image bearers. They're not your toys. They're not to satisfy your lust. And so repent of these things. It says the Lord is the avenger of these things. What's that mean? The Lord is the avenger of sin. And, um, you know, you might want to go in your own reading and check out 1 Corinthians 6 because Paul talks and uses the same phrases. You defraud one another when it talks about how, um, you know, you're more anxious to defeat and win somebody and beat somebody in a lawsuit uh, there. But then he goes on and describes all kinds of activities that says if you're committed to those activities, not if you struggle with them, not if when you participate in them in a moment of weakness, you repent of them and forsake them. But when you go, no, that's just the way I'm going to do it. The Lord's the avenger of those things. Paul wants the, the Thessalonians who have converted to know you're no longer a part of Caesar's destruction and the way of the world. You're God's people. And so Paul says, I want you to excel, excel still more in the way you possess your yourselves. <clears throat> then he goes from there and he says, I want you to excel still more in the way you love each other. And if you're using each other to satisfy your lusts, you don't love each other. And he says, I want you to go to work and I want you to labor. I want you, whatever you do, do heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. And um, if you do that, he says, you won't be a burden on other people. So you want a simple outline for this whole passage? First, that's four, one, and two. Love God. Seek to please him. First, that's four, three, through 12. Love others. They're not your play toys. They're not play things. They're image bearers. Give yourself for them and love them the way Christ loved you. Go to work so you can care for yourself and not be a burden on others, and you can be a blessing to others with the work that you have. Church, I know some of you would love to go to work, and during this season, um, you're not able to. And I think you know um, how we've sought to care for you and provide for you. We have a ministry here for folks that are in need that are members of our body. So within the context of your community group, we want to love you and, and, and take care of you. Uh, we reminded you last week as we talked as elders, there's actually um, a landing page there on our website where you can go and meet each other's needs right now. And if you're not signed up for the current where all that information is put up and in the sermon notes, I'll have the direct links to how you become a member, how you can figure out your membership status and how you can care for other members by meeting tangible needs. Um, I encourage you to check that out. So uh, 
I'm grateful to be a part of this body. And I need you to admonish me, encourage me, and help me. I need you to pray for me. I'm praying for you. Let me pray for you now. And then you're going to get to hear um, one of our songs that was just written by a, a group of friends here that uh, is called You Are. And this God, who is everything he says he is in terms of love and goodness, that song celebrates it. And we walk in that song, this little bridge that takes you from the, the Garden of Eden when we forsook him all the way through um, his victory on the cross. Our God is everything he says he is. And my prayers, you'd be conformed more into his holiness and image this week. We love you, church. Let me pray and then watch that song. Father, thank you for my friends. Help them to be faithful. Help them to pursue your will in all things. And that they would this week um, talk to you and listen to you and may your word flood their hearts and minds so that you would produce in them more, Father, of that which is consistent with who you are so your glory would shine forth through your people in Dallas and Fort Worth and Plano and Frisco and every place else that your church exists. May your church be sanctified. This is your will for us, that we would be more like Jesus. And we know, Lord, we'll be more like Jesus as we encourage each other, confess our sins to one another, study your word, and walk in obedience. Would you abide with us as we abide with you? We know you will. We love you and we thank you that you are everything you say you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, friends. Enjoy the song and have a great week of worship.